If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Jenny Manuel. Jenny's got a background in dressage, show jumping and eventing, and she's busy running Alchemy Equestrian Centre in Henley Brook, Western Australia, and at Alchemy, she gives disadvantaged kids an opportunity to experience horses. How are you, Jenny? Hello, very well, thanks, Glenis. <laughs> Great. Now, you've got your favourite quote ready for us? I have. Very simple one, but it was something that I actually got from my father. I asked him before he passed away, actually, I said to, said to Dad, look, Dad, if there was one quote you could give me, or mm-hmm. one bit of advice in life, what would it be? And he said to me, fear nothing. And I always really remember that and often apply that to myself and life in general, not just with horses, but I, you know, I do apply it to the horse riding and, but more about setting goals for yourself and not being scared because of failure to do something that you want to do. So that's my quote, fear nothing. Sometimes people don't do it because they're scared that what if they don't succeed, but they just never get the opportunity because they don't even give it a go. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I really take from that. It's don't not follow a dream because you're scared that it might not work out, mm, you know. Mm, mm. And sometimes you go to follow one dream and it doesn't work out. It sort of puts you in the other direction where you're meant to be anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. All right, Jenny, do you want to tell us how you started with horses and what your first memories were? Yeah, well, when... We were about, I was about five years of age. We lived in the city of Perth in Claremont, so it was an inner city suburb. And my mum got a posting with her work to a, a country town and really country town called Mullawar. So the West Australians will know where Mullawar is. It's kind of off the beaten track and it's very small. And um, we had some very good family friends there and they owned several thousand acres. They bred horses and we were great mates with them. So mum took this, this job opportunity and we all went to Mullawar. We went with them to a horse auction because they were riding to their horses. And my dad was, was very funny with auctions. He loved auctions. He loved buying stuff. And you know, kind of didn't really matter what kind of auction it was. And we went to this horse auction with them. And he did and bought five horses that morning. And we oh, never wow. owned a horse in our Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he and, feared uh, nothing, did he? Yeah. <laughs> no half measures. So um, it was hilarious. So we ended up with five horses that day and he sold two at the same auction to private um, other buyers that bought two off him. And so we went home with three horses. And we grew up with these friends of ours who had this big property and they had sheep and they did a lot of breeding and mustering. And so we ended up, that's how we got horses, we ended up riding their horses from a very young age and then funnily enough, we ended up going a few years later, they bought a coastal farm up near Calberry, off on the coast of WA and um, north of Geraldton, and they bought 3,000 acres. And they took my dad and my mum actually to this auction. They said, you've got to come to this auction, a mm. property auction. They're selling our, the neighbouring farm, 2,000 acres, beachfront, amazing. You've got to come and have a look. So, of course, my dad goes to the auction and he buys this property, which was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we ended up with this, between the two families, this 5,000 acres on the coast, beautiful bushland, not, you know, not really farming land. It was kind of just bush and whatever. And we ended up riding spending all our holidays, school holidays, up on these on the farms. And it was, you know, from about the age of, I don't know, eight, seven or eight, to my mm. teens, we just grew up riding on the farms and we would literally just spend, you know, our weeks up there and we'd be mustering all the time the, the sheep. It was a highlight of our life, you know. And so my early years of riding was just this kind of, you know, outback bush riding we'd just jump anything and we'd and we'd literally be you know I look at it now and think oh my god I'd never do this with my kids and probably grow protective <laughs> but um my mum would send us off in the morning my sister and I on our horses I'd be you know eight nine ten whatever I was my sister a couple of years older and we would literally just saddle up and we'd go all day we'd be gone all day and there's no mobile phones obviously and yep yep and on 2,000 acres yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, thousands of acres and we'd just be gone and we would have an absolute ball, you know, using our imagination and just roaming around this land. So that was my early years of riding, how we got into it, purely because of just <laughs> my dad and his options and, <laughs> wow, wow. and these great family friends, the Hailers. Yeah, the Hailers, um, and they were the ones that owned this land and, and they actually gave me my first horses. Yeah, they'd literally take us into the paddock and we'd, uh, I'd love wandering around with the herd. You know, yep. there'd be, I don't know, maybe 20-odd and they would literally just say, do you want a horse? Which one do you want? And I'd just go into the herd. I was probably the more passionate of the three of my, you know, of us kids. I was mm-hmm. the more passionate. And, and I'd say, I want that one. And they'd just kiss me and um, we'd bring it back to Geraldton back then we, when we moved to Geraldton. And I'd take it home and I'd just break it in. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I'd just spend time <laughs> with it. And eventually I'd just break this horse in and I did that on quite a few occasions and they would be my horses, you know. So, yeah, yeah. yeah funny, funny how you start out. Wow, wow. And then from there, you know, I mean, sounds great. Do you still have that property? No, no. We sold ours well before our friends sold theirs. And then we ended We ended up always on acreage, but that was like a lot. We never lived on that property. That was mm. like a lifestyle yep. place yep. on weekends and holidays. And, but we always had land, you know, five or ten acres as a family growing mm-hmm. up for our mm-hmm. horses to yep. live on. Yeah. Okay. And then what about from there then? You know, you sort of on had horses on acreage. Obviously, you've kept going with that. Did you leave school and straight into a career with horses? Almost, yeah. I finished year 12, had one more year in Geraldton, did a little bit of a course. Uh, you know, I thought I'd better do a course. Didn't have any interest in going to uni at that point. And so I spent a year of study doing a TAFE course, which uh, I think was just to fill a year in. And then I decided during uh, pretty much at the end of year 12, I wanted to go to the New South Wales Equestrian Centre and be based over there with Heath and Rosie because one of my good friends from Geraldton, a family we knew very well, they had done that, Sally McKechnie and mm-hmm. from Geraldton, and she was over there and she was a staff member. And so, you know, it was great. We were getting information from her and, and from her family and so we just made that happen. So we sort of said, okay, you know, one year later, so I was 18 and that was what I wanted to do. So I packed my bags and dad took me over there and dropped me off and I didn't go with a horse. So I, I sold my pony cob horse, I guess, back in Geraldton mm-hmm. then and went over without a horse. Yeah, went over as an 18-year-old. And that's when it, for me, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to be a rider. I want to coach yeah, I want to yep, do all this yep. stuff and really learn the art the trade of it yes yeah. yes yes and doing it professionally and you've pretty much been doing it professionally ever since pretty much you know mm. like I have worked and had a career as well my husband and I I work with my husband's real estate business so mm-hmm. we do have like I do do other things as well but you know it's always been pretty well coaching and riding and 
it's always been in my life. Even yeah, if it wasn't yeah. always full time. But you yeah. know, sometimes of course often you have to supplement drink as well, pay the bills. <laughs> I think sometimes you uh, and you only do it to supplement the income, just so you can get an extra horse or pay for that extra rug or something or other else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. get that saddle that you've always wanted or something. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, what about people going into it? What what sort of core skills? If someone says to you, "That's what I want to do. I want to work in the horse industry. That's what I'm going to do. That's what my career is." What core skills or character traits do you think they need? Look, I think you have to be a good people person. I mean, you don't have to, I suppose. I've had plenty of lessons from people I reviewed who haven't been great people. people. <laughs> but um, in, I think it helps, you know. I think in any industry, it helps if you're a good communicator. Yep. So one, I think communication is really key. And two, I think it helps to be passionate about whatever you're doing, doesn't it? And find your, your niche. Because if you're passionate, then you're more likely to stay with it. If it feels like it's just a job, then no one wants to wake up in the morning and just do a job. But if it's something that you enjoy, then yeah. find the area. The horse world is such a broad industry, isn't it? And, you, you know, mm. find what you're passionate about. Yes. You know, we have yes, girls that is. come through our riding centre here and, you know, and they've just wanted, they've started to learn to ride and then they've gone, oh, you know what, I'm going to go and do that. You know, the cattle work and the roping. We're like, awesome. You know, it's so yeah, not, it's yeah, so not yeah. what we do, but we're like, that's great. Go find, yeah. you know, go find someone in that industry. Get yourself under a good coach there and a mentor, and go for it. So you've got yeah. to find what really um, lights your fire, don't you? Oh, definitely, definitely. And as you say, so many different areas that you can go into. It's not just one cookie cutter sort of industry. Yeah, you can do a bit of this and a bit of that, and this fires you up more and sometimes people mixing you know sometimes people have worked and trained in one industry with horses and then taken that across to another niche within the horse industry and done well there yeah mm. yeah mm. absolutely all right now what about people who've influenced you Oh, look, in my early years, obviously, when I started to ride and actually go to Pony Club and start winning competitions and stuff, my coach when I was a kid up in Geraldton was Liz Boyle, Elizabeth Boyle, who's been a coach and a judge for many years in WA here. She was very instrumental in starting to learn how to ride dressage, and she was a great dressage coach and really, like, used to really take me under her wing. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd have some holiday camps at her house, just me. She would just give me lessons and, you know, and really mentor me. So she was great because, you know, as a kid, I started learning dressage and how to ride, and that was really beneficial. Um, and then from there, really, when I went to New South Wales, um, Heath and Rosie, and the whole team that were there at the time, that was just a whole different world to what I'd grown up with, you know, being in an environment, a barn like that. So yes. they were really instrumental because I was only 18. So, you know, really starting out and the principles I learned from riding under them really set a great foundation for me. I feel like it was, it just put me on the path of how to ride properly in those shortcuts. And I think that was what was really you know, having them as mentors and then around them as well. It was all the great coaches that were there at the time, you know, um, Simone Khan and Salim Ketney, Guy Wallace, Lee Robinson. They were my coaches under Heath and Rosie there. Mm-hmm, so they were the mm-hmm. staff. They were just fantastic. They were just yeah. great mentors yep. and friends. Yeah, so they were very instrumental then in then, you know, setting me off on my path, I guess, in, in the horse world. Yes, yes, good. And what about horses? You know, you've sort of mentioned a couple of different horses starting with the, you know, um, the ones from the auction. But, you know, what about horses that yeah. you think have been influential? I had a really lovely pony club pony, um, well, it was a horse, it was about 15, two hands, but he was a great horse that I had in Geraldton when I was a kid. 
called Spirit of Freedom. And he was really great because he used to be a nice flat worker. So I used to have all my lessons with Liz on him and that really started getting me the feeling for good flat work. When I went to New South Wales, she was good enough to, I went there without a horse. So I was just riding the, the centre's horses and any horse I could. Mm-hmm. But Simone said to me when I was a student there, she said, look, I've got this nice horse at home. I'm not using him. I'll bring him down for you and you know see if you like him. So um, his name was Balmoral Missile known as Teddy, and he was a great horse and just, you know, he was a lovely thoroughbred, he was about 16 hands. And um, so, you know, within six months I bought him straight away. He was just such a lovely horse and schooled by her, so he was just so lovely to ride. And um, he was really influential for me because I'd gone from, from kind of just being a pony club rider to competing one star by the end of that first year at the centre on him and, and having just like a wonderful experience because of that horse, you know, mm, and because mm. of the environment that I was in. So. Yep. Uh, you know, so I kept him for a few years and um, and he was really, I guess, influential for me at that point because I was able to participate in a lot of the, we'd go cross-country schooling every, like it was a Wednesday morning or something at the centre and it was only for people kind of, only for the staff or students that were kind of one star and above. So there would just be a little group, Heath and the, those, you know, couple of staff members. And I was included in that, which I was really lucky because I had Teddy and because I was at that one star level. So you know, once a week we'd just have this dedicated training session for a cross-country session. So I got to do things like that that I wouldn't have been able to do if I hadn't had that horse. Yep. So yep. that was really influential. And, you know, I've had some lovely horses since then, but I haven't had a team of horses and it hasn't been something. I haven't gone down that path of having a teams of horses and competing because I've had, I've been creating other things with my life. So I've had lovely horses, but he was the one that really probably helped me develop my riding, I guess, in that mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And, and just talking about the other things, because you do a bit now with giving the disadvantaged kids an opportunity to experience horses. Do you want to tell us how you started with that? Yeah, look, I always had a bit of a desire to help children or, you know, young kids. And I think that I don't know exactly where that came from, but probably from just hearing inspirational speakers at um, maybe church when we were growing up as kids and things like that. I always felt like I wanted to help other people. I wasn't really quite sure how, but I felt like somehow with my horse experience, I always felt like one day I'll get my own place. And when I've got my own place, I'll be able to do something with that. And... Mm -hmm. So when we, my husband and I, bought this property in Henleybrook and we created our, what we did a vision board of what we wanted to have for our life and our property, and and with that we said, okay, well we want to give back as well. And how can we do that? And I kind of these people kind of, it was just fate, you know. We sort of crossed paths with a woman, a wonderful African young woman who um, she actually came and bought my car, and we got talking. We just not long come back from a trip to Africa. We got talking. Long story short, she worked with disadvantaged kids, a lot of refugees, blah blah. And I said, look, you know, I'd love to help you guys out. Would you like to bring some here, and we could give them a bit of experience? Well, that just led from one thing to the next, and yeah. So we do work with her organisation. And she brings groups of kids, you know, it could be anywhere from 10 to sometimes 15 or 20 kids at a time. And um, <laughs> and they're beautiful. They're like little, from four-year-olds to 15-year-olds. And so they come here and look, they've had pretty horrendous childhoods, pretty much all of them. And some of them aren't refugees, but some, a lot of them are. And they've, um, you know, fled war-torn countries and, and horrors that we can't even imagine. Sure. And then there are other kids in these groups as well that are part of the DCP, Child Protection Act, you know, they're in foster care environments. So really tough back. And so we just bring them here and we just spend a morning with them. And I just get some of my GCs and staff, whoever wants to just volunteer their time. And people always volunteer. And we just 
we just get them out there. We pull out a couple of the good horses. We pull out, you know, the little ones to the my one that's 17 feet hands, and we pull out anything from nine hands to 17 hands and just go, right, you know, well, look at these funny horses we've got, you know, and they just think it's the funniest thing ever. So we just get them brushing them and grooming them. They plant their manes, and when, it, when it's not chaotic, we give them little horse rides as well. It depends on how big the group is, but, you know, and we do farm jobs with them, and it just brings the most amazing joy to mm. these kids. It's actually a real pleasure to be able to do that. Yep. And yeah. everyone that helps me with those mornings and those sessions gets a lot out of it. Yeah. Yeah, like we think they're getting a lot out of it, but in actual fact, we're getting a lot out of it because it actually makes you feel really good. So I love doing that stuff. You know, that really, um, yeah, it really inspires me. Good, good. And I'm sure that they certainly enjoy it and get a lot out of it too. So I'm good on you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's good. Oh, do, you, do you think that's your yeah. proudest moment? Oh, look, I, you know, in a way I do, you know, like my husband and I, you know, we – Every few years we do up a vision board, you know, we, mm. we say, well, what do we actually want to get in the next couple of years? Or what do we want to do with our lives? And we every two or three years we'll do a vision board. And, you know, to actually say this year we want to buy a property and, and we want to create this and do this and, and have this be who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think then when that all came to fruition, that you know, yeah, it's, you know, when we got this property, I remember my husband and I, we <laughs> quite a funny day but anyway it was a long story I can't go into all that but we finally got all the finance done and we were at, we met in the city and my husband even acted as our own settlement agent this, this day because um, you know he's in real estate and he had to do it this day and we were sprinting across Riverside Drive in the city him on one side me on the other we parked and we and he sprinted across the oval and we're like running to each other like chariots of fire it was the funniest <laughs> thing and because we'd finally made it happen that we got this property we wanted and you know and he'd had to be, act as a settlement agent and it was just really it was really quite funny and we were running we're like dreaming with joy and going woo you know and that was just a really funny amazing euphoric feeling actually um, for it all come together because there was a few hurdles that we had to get through along the way to <laughs> get the property and make it all happen so, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah so certainly yeah having a big vision come mm-hmm. come to mm-hmm. fruition that's yeah, good. beautiful yeah and what do you think now you're talking about sort of the highs and the lows that that's one of the highs and I'm sure you've had a few what do you think been the biggest challenge with what you're doing now you know you have right up oh, from right yeah. through from horses right up to sort of what you're doing now I guess you know when you get nice horses and you get big plans for that then for me I usually only have one horse at a time I don't normally have a couple I've had a couple in the past but you know having the you know soundness issues with horses and, and feeling like you get them so far and you have visions of getting them further and doing more with them and then they break down and, and so that's always a challenge in this industry but I guess probably ongoingly I, I think the biggest challenge for me I'm a, a mum of two young children so I think for me it's probably a time thing is trying to juggle being a mum Mm-hmm. and running the centre and, and coaching and writing and, and trying to fit everything into your day. So, yeah, I still love to ride and compete when I can, although, you know, two kids under five, I haven't had a lot of time for that in the last five years, but trying to make the time for the things that I love to do for myself as well, which is, you know, I love to compete and ride and that. You know, that's a challenge, definitely <laughs> trying to get the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're talking, you know, like you're really enjoying it and you're juggling fitting everything in but you still want to do everything, you know, and you're enjoying everything. Right. You still want to keep doing it yeah. but you've just got to make yeah. sure that you allow time for everything, yeah, something doesn't yeah. get neglected, uh, yeah. I did for a few years back there. I was doing quite a lot of with my judging and I was judging quite a lot and starting out on that. And I really actually, just because I really actually enjoy it. Mm. And that's just one of the things, for example, that I've just had to go, I just can't do it. I just don't have the time. If I had a spare full day on a weekend, 
you know, that would be here on the property and with the coaching here and riding and, and working are just one of those things that I had to let go. <laughs> so I think, try, you know, having yeah. to say there are some things I love to do, but I just can't, I just can't fit it in. And yeah. 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 Okay. Now thinking about, you know, you're judging, you're riding, you're coaching. I just want you to think of a tip or think about a common fault common thing that happens with people with riders and their horses but also how to fix it i see a lot of people wanting to be somewhere quickly and not put in the hard yards early so you know people come and say oh you know i want to i want to learn shoulder in but they can't ride the horse forward into a frame for example or you know so i guess the thing is people are in a hurry and i do think riders need to do the basic things well and learn the basics well so no shortcuts you know and I think we really drilled into and young riders at the center that there were no shortcuts so you you know you don't just chuck a gadget on the horse to try and pull its head in or anything like that so you know it's like no you learn to ride and you learn the basics and the foundations that have got to be right and so I think from that sense if people are in less of a hurry and to do this the basic things well and get good instruction you know so have have help because I think really that's what makes the biggest difference. If you've got good health, then keep you on the right path. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, your good instructor is going to be the eyes on the ground and they're not just going to say, okay, you've got to go back and do the basics. They're going to actually show them, this is where you're up to now. Yeah. This is what's missing. Yeah. This is what needs to be improved. And then ongoing, you know, like, okay, well, this problem's less of a problem now, but this one's also crept in. And just having that regular, yeah, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Having your eyes there to help you. And I say, I often, we get a lot of, we have a GSTs here. So a lot of people come and go over the years. And you, you see lots of people with like spending the money. I guess I do say this a lot actually to people that come here. You know, don't spend the money on things that don't make a difference. So don't go buying the fanciest saddle and, you know, this amazing bridle and all this gear. Mm. If you can't afford to have a lesson. Just, yes. You know, I rode yes. in the saddle my dad bought me when I was 10. Yep. And I was still riding in that going around Melbourne three-day, you know, in New South Wales 10 years later. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just a basic, basic saddle. But the money was spent on the tuition. So I say to people, you know, don't go spending heaps of money on all the gear is no idea. Just spend the money on getting help. Like really get lessons and, Mm. you know, Mm. your basic gear is fine. Don't try and keep up with the Joneses, you know. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. If you're influenced by looking good, just try and get help, ride better. That's you know, that's probably the thing I do say the most to people here. And the other thing is too that, you know, it's the investment for the lessons. Not only is it going to help increase your horse, so increase their value, it's going to increase your skill. So when you get another young green horse, you can then start to improve their value. You know, so it really is an investment for you. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, it's an investment in you. You know, this is you know, you're going to ride your next, like you said, your next horse, your friend's horse, and the better you become, the more you become an expert, don't you then? Because you've had so many different experiences and you learn so much when you have lessons from different people as well. Yes, yes, definitely. Tools in your toolkit, yeah. Oh, just let me interrupt you for a moment, just to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at Online Horse College. Have a look at the flexible options with online theory. The practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website, again, is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. 
All right. Now, thinking about something that will complement the lessons and complement the knowledge and skills that people would learn, have you got a book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Well, my favourite book is actually not a horse book, but my favourite book is The Alchemist, okay, and that's why we call our business yes. Alchemy Equestrian. Okay, so if you yes. want a book to inspire you in life, okay, and, to, and it's a very nice, small, easy read called The Alchemist. That's just a great book to really light your fire. Mm-hmm. But a horse book, gosh, we've, oh, I've had so many over the years and got so many, but I, Practical Eventing, Sally O'Connor's one that I've often referred back to and used, and also, you know, it's an old one, but Hunter Seat Equitation, you know, George Morris, yes. that's got some really yes. great explanations in it, breaks things down really well as well. So they're two books that I've always had and used and would recommend. Good, good. Jenny, what are you looking forward to? Oh, do you know what I'm really looking for? I've got, I've got a lovely young horse that I bred and he's just turned six and I'm really looking forward to taking him out and about. Um, mm-hmm. He's just lovely. And the first horse I've actually bred of breeding, not, breeding horses has not been my thing, so it's <laughs> quite a, a special thing to actually mm-hmm. have my own baby now out there doing things with him and he's just adorable. So I'm really looking forward to having, uh, you know, some fun years ahead with this horse called Renzo, Alchemy Florenzo is his name, and I'm looking forward to actually my two children who are loving riding. I'm looking forward to seeing them advance, you know, their passion with riding and following, I suppose, in my footsteps and <laughs> riding the horses and just the development of our our great group that we've got here at Alchemy of riders and staff and we've just got such beautiful people around us. And, yeah, so I'm looking forward to just where the next few years go in terms yep. of our great students and mm-hmm. a great bunch of people here and, and my own children and myself without good. riding as well. Good, good. Jenny, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today, something that the listeners can take away with them? Yeah, I think it, just, it needs to be progressive and Something that I always felt when I was at New South Wales, and I go back to that a lot because that was my foundation as a young kid, you know, was that I never felt like I was overfaced with my riding, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I think being progressive is one of the key things that I learned back in those days was everything should be just done so it feels very easy for the horse and then the horse just develops with confidence. So I think keeping that philosophy, so again, no shortcuts, don't look for a shortcut to try and, you know, push yourself up the grades and push the horse up the grades when it's not quite ready for that. So that would be one of the philosophies, I guess, that just is in what was my teaching, what I'm always um, thinking about and and making sure that, um, you know, we have fun and we have a laugh and I like having a laugh in my lessons <laughs> as well. So it's always good to not take life too seriously, but, you know, be able to have a good crack up at something and, um, but, you know, be serious as well. But, yeah, certainly being progressive, I think, would be yep. Yep. And I think there's that fine line, isn't it? Being progressive and not overfacing, you know, and it's an experienced yes. coach, an experienced horse person. It takes experience to be at that stage where you go, no, I could see the horse, even though he jumped it, just that little bit of head that'll do for the exactly. day. That's it. Put him away. Exactly. He's done enough yep. for the day. Yep. Yep. Just those little, so, tiny little signals that you're looking for. You yep. never be scared to change the plan as well. Mm. You know, you might think you're coming out to, yeah, if you're jumping, you might think, okay, we're going to practice riding the course today at whatever height that you're going to be competing on the weekend. But then you go, wow, okay, you guys are looking at the sensitive, the horse is not as confident. Okay, let's just drop these fences down. Let's mm-hmm. just get him really confident again and, and not being scared to change that, yep. change the yep. plan and yep. keeping confidence for the horse and rider yeah. Um, yeah. Is, uh, is optimum, you know, is key, I guess, yeah. Good, good. Okay, Jenny, how can people contact you? 
Uh, well, we've got our website, which is alchemyequestrian.com.au, and all our contact details are on there. And we have a Facebook page, which is Alchemy Equestrian as well. So, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> and those details will be on horsechats.com slash Jenny Manual as well. Brilliant. So, Jenny, thank you for talking to us today. I'm really excited about what you're doing for disadvantaged kids and giving them the opportunity to experience horses. I think that's something that you've had on your vision board and obviously something that you enjoy. I think that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a great honour for us to be able to do that. <laughs> okay. All right. And I like your philosophy too, you know, being progressive, not overfacing and no shortcuts. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks, Glenna. Okay, good to talk to you, Jenny, and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Awesome, thanks. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.